All right, I feel like before we get into this, why we need to take a minute to apologize for the to the listeners because we haven't podcasted in how long? A long time. It's been a long time. But what's gotten in the way? Well, see, the thing is, is that you don't do anything. I don't. And I, you, at the responsibility to do everything practical for this is on me. Oh, I thought I was going to blame it on COVID. And I have been very. I've just been having a hard time feeling motivated to work on things. I, really? It's been hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'm, I sh- probably should take more of an active role in the editing of these things. Well, like, what if some sort of catastrophic event happened and I could no longer do it? Well, I guess that would be the end of number one dad industries. But why? But it shouldn't be. You should. Well, I mean, I'm not going to promote myself as number one dad. Don't you think that would be a bit... Uh, self-aggrandizing no no i don't know that is the word isn't all it? right well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to be better all right be better be, we're gonna be better well maybe we should just type it out and have the computer read it i guess no, i think you that used would to love that when you were little oh my gosh because yeah, yeah you could like write make a up dr- stories and right stuff. you yeah, produce yeah, yeah, a draft yeah. and then have the speech uh software yeah read we used it. to write stories yeah it was they fun. would go on and on and on all um, right, so you want to... Yeah, because I'm not so sure anybody's all that interested in anything we've had to say so far because we've opened up with excuses, lame excuses about why we haven't done anything. Excuse me? <laughs> lame excuse. Wow, all right. Well, I mean, our listeners don't want to hear that we're not motivated to produce a podcast. I... <laughs> I've just... I think it's relatable, though. I think it's relatable sometimes as for artists. It's hard. It's hard well, to... To motivate yourself, sometimes you really want to do the thing, but you can't just get get going. And I brought it up because I want to be transparent. I want to be honest. All right. Well, I, I guess that does get around to what I was going to say about the COVID-19 thing because I think that has made motivation. Getting motivated to do things has been a problem. Sometimes, right. yeah. And I think and that's a question that comes up so much in your Whenever we do lives, people ask it Yeah. about how do you overcome creative block. And while this isn't creative block in the sense that I don't know what to create, it is in a way because it's like, how do you get yourself to work when you feel stuck? Right. See, for me, we're talking about, I know we're talking about two different things here, but somebody the other day like identified me as an escapist. We were talking about things and I said, I just need to go somewhere. Okay. And they said... Well, that's just an escapist attitude. And then I thought about it and I said, yeah, I, you know, in, in relation to this mental uh, artistic block, whatever mental block around things, I don't have that problem because for me to come here and work is just that escapist thing. So uh, I, I can remove myself from whatever issues I'm having and come here and work and, and that's my way around it. So I'm never at a loss mm-hmm. for energy to do that kind of stuff. But for most other things in my life, yeah, there's always that problem at some point or another where you're going to have to motivate yourself. And I think that the weird thing is, the paradox is that with all the downtime with COVID-19, it's actually harder to motivate to do a lot of that. Yeah. You know, when you're busy all the time and it's just like, okay, I'll just add one more thing in. Right. And so I was busy plus 5% more busy today or 10% more. But when you're hanging around a lot, you're not doing much, and you're just, you, you know, you're not feeling that motivation. Then everything seems like it's a problem. Today, for me, it was a problem to even go out. I didn't want to go out. I had to. I had a couple of hours of work to do uh, at a hospital this morning, mm-hmm. and it was a huge thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. 
I'm in the car driving into the city. It's like, I need a new life. I need to re-engineer everything. Are you going to reinvent and yourself? Then I, and then I was, yeah, I need to reinvent my whole existence. And then I got to the place, got in there. Uh, I was in and out in about an hour. I had done everything. They were perfectly nice to me, very polite. Everyone was said hello, glad to see you. I got in my car, and that was the end of my work day. And, but it was a major issue for me. And I think that just like points points up to some of that. Well, so can I, can we revisit um, something that we talked about in a live? And I apologize to the people who may have already heard this conversation. There were that many people in the live, so. <laughs> okay. Well, somebody, you had talked about how you kind of, an, we were talking about work. Yes. And a work-life balance and things like that. And someone had asked, like, how do you do as little work as you can and survive? And I thought that was actually a really interesting conversation that we had. It's a good question, and it's a good conversation. I remember I was training someone for a job, and I used to work in a supermarket. We know that from an earlier podcast. Yeah. But I remember we were training a new guy for the cleanup crew, and that was the first thing he asked me. He said, how can I work here? Make it seem like I'm working, but not work. <laughs> he and asked you that on his first, yeah, like his yeah, first day. Yeah, that was his first day, and and I looked at him, and I I was incensed by that, and I said, well, there is no way to do this job and not do it, right? Because we're cleaning everything, so if you don't clean, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be evident that you didn't clean. But I, I right. as I've gotten older, mm-hmm. with the hindsight of like 30 years or 40 years now, I don't know what, it's probably about 40 years, Yeah, uh, I realized that he was right, that that was a valid question to ask. And I pers- I have since pursued that, and I don't know who he is. <laughs> he inspired you. Right. He may be Was that like a turning or- point for your life? Well, it, no, it's just, but it's one of those things, and it's interesting because we're going back to the 70s now, Okay. Right? And But I remember him saying that yeah. and asking that to me because it was such a singular question to ask someone on the first day of work. And, yeah. and I'm <laughs> not sure how many conversations from 1977 or 78 I remember, but I do remember that one. So it was meaningful in my existence. How long did he end up sticking it out at that job? Uh, he stayed a few months and then he was gone. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't going to stand in that refrigerator. You could tell anyone who's asking that question <laughs> on day one, and then you're in a refrigerator or a freezer scraping stuff off the floor. Yeah. Yeah, that's not... You're not it staying. really is amazing to me when we talk about your job at the supermarket, something so mundane, and it's just like, it's never-ending entertainment for me. It is. The stories that come out of that. It is. Well, because as I said, I think it's a way of a way of life that is hard to come by these days. I don't think you can go into a lot of places and see that kind of processing. I mean, we've talked about that. But yeah, my, my, my answer of, for the person who asked that question, I thought, reflected where I'm at now. And I've realized that one of the things that you need to do is you need to find something that other people in the company are either afraid to do uh, or they're, you know, something onerous or or, uh, intimidating. Mm -hmm. And then just grab that and master it. And so like what? Like what, what would your coworkers be afraid to do? Well, as I said in, a, in a, again in an earlier podcast, no one wants to go to the morgue uh, to do the work there because they're afraid. Right. So I like raise Can you just hand. clarify, sorry, what work you're talking about? Well, I cal- calibrate scientific equipment. So Scales and stuff? Uh, yeah, fine measuring equipment, uh, uh, 
incubators, you know, whatever. Uh, things you would find in a laboratory mm-hmm. or in a production facility where they're doing quality control. Uh, so I go to food production facilities, factories, manufacturing facilities, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, laboratories. I go all over the place. And uh, so from in most of those settings, people, you know, people will be fighting each other to go to the plant where they make ice cream <clears throat> or where they make baked goods mm-hmm. because chances are the guy's going to give you a box of cupcakes when you walk out okay, uh, or some ice cream or something. No one's giving you anything when you go to the chief medical examiner. They don't give you like a hand. <laughs> yeah, there's no box of livers and <laughs> spleens and stuff. Uh, but so, but so the, the point is, no one they'll want to go to those places. So anyone who goes and does that work, well, they just do it. But anyone who's willing to go and do something that's going to involve uh, that type of work, people aren't aren't going to be in such a hurry for. But it gives you some currency in the company. How's that? Value. Value. You're an asset. Yeah, you're an because asset. Because that's true. Because if you leave, who's going to go right. do the lab equipment at the morgue? Right. Or, or they'll say that. Like the contact person at, at the, in the morgue will call up and say, we're having a problem here. And, oh, by the way, can you send number one dad? Although they don't call me that. That would be so funny, though, if they did. But they will. And they'll, they want somebody who come, who's coming in who's not going to create a problem. Not going to pass out, throw up, throw up, freak out, and basically they don't want to be bothered with you as well. So it's like, okay, look, here's the stuff. They can go off and do what they need to do, and they're not standing over you watching you. But anyway, I used to work in a university, and it was in the early days of using computers to get information into a system. Okay. And so we'd have to train large numbers of people to use these these computer programs. At the time, I was an art instructor as well. Mm-hmm. So for me to stand up in front of a room of 20 people and talk about something as mundane as entering data into a, you know, through a keyboard into a computer, it was not much of a problem uh, compared to talking about chiaroscuro and, and whatever else, trying to get those concepts across to people. But I noticed one day that my boss was really nervous. And and I, I asked her, I said, what, what's going on? Because she seemed really distracted and and she said, oh, I have to stand up in front of everybody today and do one of those training seminars. I really don't want to do it. I said, well, what's the problem? And and she said, I just don't like getting up in front of people. And so I said, well, if you really, if you don't want to do it, I'll take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, as long as you can get someone to do the stuff I'm supposed to do today, I'm good with that. Because I didn't really was all, wasn't all that interested in my desk job that much. And little by little, uh, I got to take over this whole training thing that no one else really wanted to do. And so I was, I could sort of do whatever I wanted because they're not going to get rid of me because nobody wants to do do that job. And they're happy to find people to do what I was supposed to be doing. And so as long as that training thing was going on, my job was, was pretty good. Right, uh, and then I, I sort of had my own thing that I interacted with the people from IT, and they sent up the programs, and I played with them for a while, and wrote the training manual, uh, and ran it. You know, we looked for bugs, and uh, it turned into a pretty good job as long as that was happening. The problem was is that once we went through the entire system, there was nothing left to do, and I figured out ways in my current job to do that so that I can work minimally uh, and get away with it.
So basically, in summary, uh, make it so they can't fire you because they won't be able to do the stuff that you do. Right. Find something that you that makes you invaluable, if that's possible to find. Right. And just grab it and do it. You know. Like now, can we go back to where I worked at that burger joint? Yeah. Now what? <laughs> See, I was right. Advice would you have given me then? Because right. Really, the only thing that people didn't want to do was mop up vomit and yeah. feces. Yeah, yeah. See, there And I'm, see, yeah. I wouldn't be jumping to volunteer yeah. to do that all yeah. the time. No. And for me, too, like, I definitely, when I see vomit, I feel like I'm going to vomit. So right. it's not a good situation. Yeah, see, like, in my current job, I keep the company accredited by calculating uncertainty budgets and stuff like that, doing math problems that people are intimidated by. Yeah. That I just, you know, just figured out how to do on the internet. But... So there's there's got to be that room and what the company does for you to grab something and then and then just run with it. It's really hard to be motivated when your job is to mop up. Right, that's a real poop. limited range, right? Like in the supermarket, <laughs> like where this guy was coming from in the supermarket, he's saying, "Well, how am I? How can I not do this job? There there isn't enough latitude in there for him to do something. You know, they right. they weren't going to let us like stop." spraying down the hamburger grinding machine yeah. and do some of the paperwork upstairs, uh, the bookkeeping for the company. You right. know, there wasn't that much latitude. You were cleaning the bathroom or you were cleaning the hamburger machine. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, there weren't a whole lot of options. Yeah. So how did we get on this? Because we were talking about motivation. Oh. And I think work is a good place to talk yeah. about lack of motivation yeah. because a lot of the time, people don't feel motivated to work. Right. You know, right. that's a difficult... Well, let's put it this way. Maybe you need another thing that's motivating you more. Like for me, the, as the faster I can get out of working, the more quicker I can get here. Right. Like I'm highly motivated to work on my paintings. Uh, so everything else, I'm reciprocally, you know, inversely but what do motivated you do to for get people... out of doing. What do you do for people who can't like leave early and they're just stuck? Yeah, well, that's hopefully like we learned from COVID that you don't have to be in your at your desk for forty hours a week. I don't know. We'll right? have to see. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if like we came to that realization as a culture that you don't maybe you just have a job to do and when you do it you're done. I don't think that we have reached that point, but I agree with you. It would be nice. Right. Well, I, as I, I've said to you before, it's like there were certain jobs where they had an expectation, this is the amount of work you're supposed to get done in the right. day. This is what we expect. Right. And I would get that done early in the day. So my feeling was like, all right, I finished it. You know, I right. want to go home. Right. Why can't I go home? I'm d I did everything that you wanted me to do. Right. And then it's Why like... Why do you own... But then it's sort of like... Hours. Yeah. And then they're sort of like, okay, well, if you can do that, then you can do like twice as much work. But... You're not paying me twice as much. Right. You're going to pay me the same amount that everyone else is getting paid to do right. those five tasks per day. So I, you know, and then, the, but there, that I think in that kind of work environment, like I lost a lot of motivation Yeah. because it's like, so what am, so I, why even work hard? What's the point? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, and you and I have talked about this. People will often go out of their way to make things as difficult as possible. And I don't know why culturally we do that, why we don't, like, as a group, make it easy as easy as possible for ourselves. But we don't. We seem to be almost determined to make things as difficult as possible. We have all these arbitrary rules or, or sentiments that, you, you, that if you don't suffer or you're not 
put through something. You didn't earn, you know, the, I was sort of raised in that model that you really had to go out and earn your money, that it was wrong to, uh, uh, that the easy ways were wrong. And, and, and yeah, and I question that. And I question, like, if that's the best thing for all of us as a group. But the, again, well, the conformity, right? You just go along with it because that's the way it is. And people don't question it, either historically or psychologically or otherwise, why things are the way they are. Right. Um, well, because there's not very much we can do about it. I mean, other countries, though, at least they're like trying to do a three or four day work week instead of five days. Right. Right. But. And as we were talking before, because of the Industrial Revolution, uh, the idea that, well, you weren't working seven days uh, was a big thing. And then you weren't working six days. And, and But, yeah, you look culturally, historically, uh, there have been time periods uh, where people worked a lot less. And uh, I'm not sure they were any the worse off for it. But, I mean, the whole conformity thing makes me think of that book, uh, Stephanie's Ponytail. <laughs> Yeah, did you want to talk about the books? I did want to talk about those books because I thought we got some good responses to that. Yeah. Uh, the, the Stephanie's Ponytail, I mean, we we kind of were not all that favorable toward it. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because when I read it before I gave it to you, yeah. I really could have seen you going either way because she rejects conformity and that's like a message that you are into so i was like okay he's gonna like this book right but you didn't and i you know so i thought that was kind of interesting i mean i think your reasons for not liking it were valid yeah i mean it's ridiculous how little anybody did to support her i think as authority figures that for me was disturbing as somebody who dealt with issues in school when I was a little kid, like where kids made fun of me. Right. It was. It's like totally disturbing. Her parents like are totally unaware. They're checked out. Yeah, they don't know. The teacher is taking part in it. Right. The teachers are taking part of it. And that's the thing that was most upsetting for me looking at it was, is this the message you want to give people? The message we want, uh, well, I think we should be promoting is that there's in inclus inclusiveness uh, in, in, in acceptance, uh, but then there's support. Right. So you want people to believe that if they are being bullied or made to feel uh, excluded, that support is coming, that there are adults in the vicinity who are going to step in and rectify that situation or people they can trust that they can go to to rectify that situation. Nowhere in that book is there a place where you get the feeling that she could go talk openly about what's happening to her every day at school and get the right type of support. Right. She's left to her own to figure out ways to thwart her classmates and teachers right. uh, in a way. And it's, I think, yeah, there's a certain amount of empowerment in the fact that she does that. But the disturbing part is, is that she's the one as a child who has to figure that out, that no one around her was an adult could could come up with a solution for her yeah and that's the piece of it i didn't like i mean i do think there are probably kids in that situation though as well oh I, i'm sure but yeah right is that what we want to be presenting well because it's not the focal point of the book no it's not so they aren't really making a commentary on that it's just kind of like a setting Okay, and what about, the, story what about the uh, case of the stripes? What's the, what's the official title of that book? A bad case of bad the stripes. Bad case of the stripes. Um, 
Yeah, well, okay. So can we just say, I when I got it, it was uh, highly requested. Yeah. So I went and I got it, and I gave it to you. Yeah. And I just want to point out the fact that when you first sat down and read it, you had you did not want to review it. Yeah, I didn't you really like didn't it. like it. Yeah, I did. So why didn't you like it? Well, I, at the beginning, I didn't like it because I think I gave it a summary read, read and I thought it was superficial in its in 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 the way it deployed the illustrations. I thought it was it had these trippy illustrations, and um, it seemed superficial to me. So I did initially didn't like it. But then I read it again and thought about it a little bit and came around to the, to the, to the completely opposite view. I thought I did like it. I thought that the architecture of the book where she begins looking at herself, trying to select clothing that's going to make her, you know, that she's going to feel good about how she looks. And then she goes through that whole thing with this that's really generated out of uh, uh, how self-image uh, is, is, is is tied to how others or how you feel uh, that others feel about you or perceive you. And then at the end where she's just sort of free uh, and, and standing there and uh, she's restored to, to who she is all by way, way of accepting uh, a, a, a level of acceptance, personal acceptance, and I thought that was was interesting. Uh, and then I then the the transformations and uh, and all of that stuff that goes on in the book took on a new meaning for me. And it's like, oh yeah, you know how you feel about yourself internally uh, plays a role in how you what you project or what you think about your your appearance. And so I thought, and then the part about the the bit about Dolly thrown in at the end, where that room is modeled on that work by Salvador Dolly, which, you know, Mae West, uh, that, that whole thing to me was charged up uh, in, in terms of the imagery. Uh, and, and yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was a good book. So you can't be mad at me for changing my mind. I'm not mad at you at all. No, okay. I just thought it was interesting because I really had to kind of push you to do it in the first place. Yeah. And so when you ultimately finished the book and you had a different perspective, I was just surprised. Yeah. But no, I don't think it's bad. Well, I, I'm, I, even though I'm 60, yeah. I'm still trying to like cultivate that ability to change my viewpoint and well, I think, think that's about a good things. Thing. Yeah. You, you need to do that. Yeah. Because I... I well, I'm, the world is constantly changing. changing. Yeah. And, and I'm always surprised at, at how people will... Well, I shouldn't be surprised, but I think it's a thing that a lot of people do, myself included. It's like someone can actually demonstrate right in front of you sometimes uh, that you, the idea that you're uh, expounding or espousing is, 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 is refutable. And you still will want to hold on to that because of your ego, your pride, whatever. Uh, and I think that it's liberating when you can see something and say, yeah, I'm wrong, and, and change your mind and be open about that. Or, or, or just listen to somebody and say, yeah, the, the, uh, yeah they're right. And, and you can just let go. And it's so much easier than stubbornly holding on to something that, that is at least on a certain level manifestly not true or, 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 or obvious. So... 
yeah, I, I, but I, I really enjoyed a lot of the comments that people made, and I think people did like that book, A Bad Case of the Stripes, by and large. I didn't really like it that much as a kid. It yeah. freaks, the drawings really disturbed me. Yeah, the me. drawings are disturbing. But, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where you either, you know, you're really into it or you're not. I don't yeah. think there's much middle ground. Yeah. There aren't really people who are like, eh. Yeah. People either love it or they're like, this haunted me. Yeah. Well, we gave him, we've looked at a few books by that author. He's the one who did No David. Yeah, I didn't particularly like No David, but he scored with this, so. So we'll see. Yeah, he gets a number. There I mean, are so many Robert Munch books out there. There are, The really. guy who did Stephanie's Ponytail. Yeah. So where are we at with him? Because what was the first book we read by him? Paperback Princess we liked. Right, right? we liked that one, and then there was Love You Forever. So he's batting 300. <laughs> hey, I, I, I feel the same way about my paintings. What, some sometimes of them? you you hit it, sometimes you don't. That's and what you say about my jokes. Sometimes you try. The more you try, the less you hit it. There's a quality about it that, uh, and it's true for writing as well. I'm sure. You know what we haven't addressed? What? Before we wrap up this podcast, that we're I wrapping to it up. It's your glue video. Oh yes, yeah. We forgot to talk about that. I just can't understand why, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, not happy about it, but like, why did that garner such a response? I don't know, because I think it was like seeing somebody who really was into something like that, like this, this random thing, like a jar of glue. And I mean, I say, like, I'm ready to start talking about it again. I know, Because I put 300 <laughs> pounds on that thing, and I went home, and I said, shit, it's like, there, there was like seams in it and stuff i said i wonder how that's going to glue down and then i i skipped out of work mm -hmm. well since we're on that theme right got in my car drove over here the first thing i did i walk in and it was perfect they like the way i say perfect it was glued down perfectly mm -hmm. uh I, I subsequently destroyed the painting and remade it but the fact that it's so flat. I mean, look at it. It's it's lying there on the it floor. It does. It looks it's good. It's like you'd never know that that was that piece. I cut it and put it back together again. So, yeah, people were really into that. And, but a lot of people knew about the glue itself. I just think it's interesting that sometimes we'll put a lot of thought and effort into a video that I think is really good or really funny or something. And it won't get that many views. And then we post this, like, clip, one-off clip of you talking about this glue you like and... Yeah. People are going crazy. Non-stop. And then there was, again, the, the whole, when I said, oh, I used to have to pray. That's true. I used to have this whole thing where I'd say some prayers. Or, am I getting too into this? I don't know. Uh, and then with this new stuff, you don't have those problems. It, everything works all the time, and it just took all that pressure off. And, I, and it actually affects the way I work, because I'm painting, and I'm thinking, oh, no problem. Stick this on because I've got that glue and it will it's all gonna work out in the end. I'm just glad you're happy. I know we're going on and on about this, but I want to clarify two things mm -hmm. about that glue. No, I do not eat it. Do you have it? No, I do not sniff it. Because yeah. a lot yeah. of people wanted to know if you were getting high off that no, glue. No, yeah, I don't think you can get high off of it. Uh, I remember the model airplane glue back in the 60s when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You'd be working on your model for a couple of hours or something, and you'd be walk, you'd walk away from that, and your head would, you'd have a buzz on. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. used to get high off your airplane glue you when could, you were a kid? Not deliberately, but it would. It, I mean, it was horrible stuff. It probably it damaging to your liver and your brain. Uh, and they, they had, it explains a lot. Well, <laughs> but then at a certain point, you couldn't buy it anymore. 
I remember I went to the store and tried to buy a few tubes of it, and the guy told me, yeah, you're going to have to get your mom or dad to come back to buy this because they had put an age restriction on it because people were, 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 were abusing it. Yeah. Okay. All right, on that All note. Right, well, yeah. <laughs> but, yes, I'm glad we're back. And we definitely have to keep this going in because there are some other things I want to go over, some movies I've seen lately, some stuff going on. All right. Okay. Let's do it. All right, good. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.